Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is going to be on CT of the acute abdomen. And I'm going to be giving actually two series of talks. One will be on GU causes, and one will be on GI causes. And this one will be on GU causes. And if I step back for a second and say, what's the most uh, best definition for an acute abdomen? It's a clinical syndrome characterized by the sudden onset of severe abdominal pain requiring emergency medical or surgical treatment. And just the definition alone tells you why CT is so good. It's just a tremendous opportunity to make a very specific diagnosis across the entire GU tract and do that very quickly and be able to triage patients. Now we know that uh, from this article by Thrall and Associates that when you think about common diagnosis in the ER setting, renal colic is one of the most common diagnoses. But in this talk, I'm going to speak about things that go far beyond renal colic. We can think about the acute abdomen from the GU tract perspective as being kidney, ureter, bladder, adrenals, prostate. And again, I'll stick in the uterus and ovaries in the GU discussion as well. And I really don't want to do a long laundry list because I could do that and I could speak a lot about stone disease. but Let's go through some of the things that perhaps we don't think about quite as frequently and we should. So let's start with the adrenal glands. We know the adrenal glands, normal shape, normal size. We know the adrenals enhance a bit when they're normal. And you can see very nicely the right and left adrenal gland, which have different shapes and sizes and lengths. But they measure just a couple of millimeters typically in cross-sectional diameter. Now you look at this case and if you had non-contrast, you would appreciate some enhancement maybe 30 Hounsfield units. But when you look at this next case, look how bright the adrenals are. The adrenals are essentially as bright as the aorta. And when you see that, that's a critical finding. It means the patient is in shock or is about to go into shock. It's the so-called shock adrenals with hypoperfusion syndrome. And it was initially described in pediatric patients with trauma, and this indeed is a pediatric patient. Look at the ruptured abdominal wall where the bowel loops are all hanging outside the abdomen, which is shown nicely in 3D as well. But look how bright the adrenals are. Now sometimes we're the first people to recognize this patient's hypotensive and is about to go into shock. We sometimes see it before the clinicians recognize it. But if you see the adrenals that bright, it's a home run diagnosis. Now, why that happens, there's an article by Venkatarishima. Comment was, it's important to recognize intense adrenal enhancement in normal-shaped glands, especially in unwell patients, because this may be a sign of impending shock, warranting early critical care management. It may also be a marker of poor prognosis in ill patients. And indeed, that is very important. That was in AJR, an article by Chung a few years earlier thought that adrenal hyperenhancement was a sign of hyperinfusion in the early stages of shock um, and mentioned that this may be a very important finding because we can really pick up shock before some of the other signs may come to the clinician's mind. Another example here, a patient with trauma, had a pneumothorax, they were going to put a chest tube in, they wanted to see the extent of injury. Look how bright the adrenals are. There's blood near the right adrenal, but the key finding is the very bright hyperperfusion of the adrenals in this patient with a hypoperfusion syndrome. And here it is again, just very nice examples. Now, in this case, we saw some different organs, liver, kidneys, that all are enhancing normally. Sometimes you only see the adrenal as the one organ that has the abnormal enhancement. 
Other times you may see multiple organs. So in this case you see very bright adrenals but you see very poor perfusion of the liver. You see very poor perfusion of the kidneys. The kidneys are hypodense. You know something is going on in this patient. You don't see the normal cortical medullary interface that you should see uh, on early phase imaging. And the kidneys just have this patchy enhancement. You also see in this case, when you look at the sagittal view, that the patient's uh, celiac and SMA are very small. This patient has poor perfusion of bowel. You can see this was the patient's problem, poor perfusion of bowel. The patient was becoming shocky, the bright adrenal glands. From there, this patient, um, it's tough to manage because what are you going to do in this case? The patient has poor flow from the vessels. You can try to hopefully give some drugs to dilate the vessels, but this patient eventually expired. Another important thing in the adrenal is adrenal hemorrhage. Now, adrenal hemorrhage most of the time will be unilateral but can be bilateral, and bilateral is so much more important. Bilateral adrenal hemorrhage is associated with adrenal insufficiency. Patients become Addisonian. What's interesting with adrenal hemorrhage, particularly bilateral, the clinical presentation never comes down with a requisition rule out adrenal hemorrhage. It usually comes down as a patient who's doing poorly, perhaps there's sepsis, perhaps there's an acute abdomen, perhaps there's myocardial infarction. It's just a very difficult diagnosis to make without CT. Now, the etiologies are numerous. Probably the most common we see is patients on uh, anticoagulant therapy, but trauma, underlying tumors, infection, hypercoagulability states, and stress are all some of the possibilities. There's an article we published a couple years back talking about adrenal hemorrhage, what a difficult diagnosis it is, and recognition of adrenal hematomas is complicated by the variability in the appearance of these lesions. Now, how do they look? And again, classically, high attenuation non-contrast, unilateral versus bilateral, they, they're typically round and oval. Over time, adrenal hemorrhage, like many types of hemorrhage, will calcify. Either the gland will be large and there's rim-like calcification, or the gland may look atrophic and the individual limbs can calcify. Interestingly, adrenal hemorrhage is more common in women. Here's a nice example of a patient who was in an MVA. You can see the large right adrenal, oval, high-density, classic hemorrhage. And when you see trauma, the adrenal that's involved is most commonly the right adrenal, as was the case here. And here's a follow-up CT about a month later. You can see the high density is gone. The size has decreased. Another example, patient who had trauma, hepatic resection. Look at the right adrenal gland. Very, very bright, high density, classic for adrenal hemorrhage. Now, this patient was on Coumadin, and the patient's Coumadin levels were off. And sure enough, look at the patient's right adrenal. Classic adrenal hemorrhage. It's high density centrally, sort of lower density around. It's oval, there's some stranding nearby. There's nothing else you can call in this case but classic adrenal hemorrhage. Now, when it happens bilaterally, as I mentioned, and here's a good example, this patient was also on anticoagulant therapy. Beautiful example of bilateral adrenal hemorrhage. This patient needs hormonal replacement therapy. This patient was in anisonian crisis. I mentioned before the difficulty in diagnosis. This was an ICU patient or a neurointensive care patient, had a meningioma resected. The patient should be doing fine by now, but wasn't. We scanned them to look for a source of sepsis. We saw high density, round, oval, bilateral adrenals. This was classic adrenal hemorrhage. So a very important diagnosis. 
Now, sometimes the hemorrhage is so large, you have to be thinking differently. This patient had right upper quadrant pain. They thought it was gallbladder and origin, which is why we did a CT scan. But you can see in the adrenal bed, there's lots of blood pushing down the right kidney. When you see this large a mass with bleeding, you have to think about an underlying tumor. Now, in this case, it was a patient presenting with a lung cancer with a met to the adrenal. We didn't know about the lung cancer until after we looked to see if the patient had a primary tumor somewhere. But a very nice example. Or this case, again, a large bleed. You can't assume this is due to anticoagulant therapy, even if the patient was on such medication. Uh, even the patient had mild trauma. What this is here is spontaneous bleed into a tumor, and in this case, it was a pheochromocytoma. So again, there's a range of things. Most commonly, it's lung cancer, but does not necessarily need to be lung cancer. I mentioned before about what happens with adrenals over time. Here's a nice example of rim calcification and some central high density. But this indeed takes a long time to happen. Now, with the adrenal, one of the things we talk about is incidental adrenal findings. And I thought I would show you this case just to make a point in the acute setting. Uh, this patient, history was very vague, uh, but look at the patient's right adrenal. And there's a nodule there, median limb, and perhaps it's just an adenoma, incidental finding. It's small, it's not bothering anybody. But if you look really hard, it's higher density, measured about 50 in fact. And then when we give IV contrast, look how bright it enhances. It's enhancing to 164. And then it washes out to under 80. Now, if you were following the rule of 50% washout, you would say this is an adenoma. But the other rule you follow, which is the super rule, is that if something enhances above 110, it's probably not going to be an adenoma, and you have to assume it's going to be a pheo. This was a pheo. So pheos can be very vascular. They can have central necrosis, as in this other case. So again, in the acute setting, abdominal pain, this patient had hypertension, pheochromocytomas can present with acute presentations. Now remember, it's a small percent of patients with hypertension. Patients are often asymptomatic. Uh, patients have a range of findings from palpitations to headache to flushing. A key, if you're thinking about pheo, is getting some lab work. VMA, catecholamines, metanephrines are all things that need to be measured within the urine. Now with pheos, it's a very, very variable appearance, can be large or small, can be very vascular or hypovascular. So there's a lot of different appearances, so it's good to be aware of that possibility. But again, my rule is if you're enhancing to a high number, well over 110, you better be thinking pheos. Our experience at Hopkins, I think we published an article even, is that we see more pheos incidentally than patients who are sent to us to rule out a pheo. Okay, that's the adrenal. Let's move over to the kidney. And if you talk about the kidney and you talk about acute processes, polynephritis has to be in the top of your list. Classic clinical presentations, chills, fever, dysuria, flank pain, microscopic hematuria, pyuria, bacteria. And again, those findings with the right history, you don't need a CT, you don't need an ultrasound, you just need to be treating the patient uh, with uh, the, the appropriate antibiotics. But it's never always that simple. It could be abdominal pain that's vague, and you're looking for one of a hundred different things, and that's where CT is so good. 
In renal infection, the things we see, and again, it depends a little bit on the phase, will be altered renal contour, there'll be decrease in parenchymal enhancement typically, you may see decrease in the contrast enhancement, you may see decreased rate of contrast excretion, and you often will see perirenal or perinephric abnormalities. Now here's a classic case, and this case also makes another point, which is the limitations of non-contrast CT. Now you can argue in this case, when you look at the left kidney, the renal pelvis looks a bit full and there's perhaps a minimal stranding, and so perhaps you wouldn't call this normal. You would say, probably all right, advise follow-up if warranted. Well, this is a good example making the point that a non-contrast CT, it's very easy to miss polynephritis. Just like missing renal tumors because you need to see the vascularity of the tumors when they're small, same thing is true when you're looking at polynephritis. So in this case, here's the venous phase or the arterial phase. You can see the patchy enhancement, the decreased enhancement, the changes in the cortical medullary interface very nicely seen in these coronal views. And then as you go to venous phase imaging, that patchy enhancement, again, you're appreciating it, the decreased enhancement, very classic for polynephritis. Now, polynephritis has a spectrum of findings. Patients are often diabetic, as in this case. You look at the non-contrast, the kidney's large, there's stranding, there's perirenal space involvement. What else could it be? Renal vein thrombosis? I guess it's a possibility. Could there be underlying tumor? I guess it's a possibility. Could the patient have had trauma? I guess it's a possibility. But when you look at the contrast-enhanced scans, you can see how nicely you see the changes and enhancement in their right kidney. There's areas of decreased enhancement in the right kidney. There's perirenal stranding, shown nicely in the coronal views. And as you follow through the excretory views, you really nicely see all of those changes. So again, very, very classic appearance. And I'll show you a few more images looking at them. Decreased enhancement, enlarged kidney. You can see striated nephrograms, but this is very classic for acute polynephritis. As I mentioned, when it's very focal, as in this case, if you look at part of the kidney, you can look identical to a tumor. So there is some overlap, and it can be somewhat tricky. Another example. You look at this case, and you say, well, is there anything going on? Well, one rule I will tell you is that sometimes in the early phases, it's very hard to see acute polynephritis in early phase CT, which means 30 seconds out or so. And you can see in this case, if you look hard, you do see findings because when you look at the cortical medullary interface, you do see areas of decreased enhancement. And then you have to suspect something is going on. So if you look further at this case at other images, particularly toward the lower pole, you really do appreciate the areas of decreased enhancement. You know something's going on. You know this patient has polynephritis. Now you can see that a bit better in the coronal view from the early phase and then from late phase imaging. One of the things that's critical, if I only had one phase, I would probably pick excretory phase. Remember, all the work by Bosniak is based on excretory phase imaging when you're looking at polynephritis. So the striated nephrogram is best seen in excretory phase imaging. Now, recognizing that, we wait five minutes for delayed scans. The reason I wait five minutes, if you wait longer, then the beam hardening becomes really significant because of the density of the contrast. And then you can't often tell, are you looking at decreased attenuation, which is just infection, or are you looking at beam hardening, which is just artifact. So indeed, it can be very tricky. Now, another thing to mention about acute polynephritis, when I talk about things where non-contrast is poor in the kidneys, I mentioned small renal tumors, I mentioned vascular pathology, and I mentioned polynephritis. 
if you don't do contrast, you're going to miss polynephritis. So when it comes from the ER setting, I'm very, very careful because in a case like this, transplant kidney, they don't want contrast. Is there pilo? I don't know. Is the kidney big? Maybe that's how large a transplant is. You look at the axis, it's probably all right. But you give IV contrast. Now look at the patchy areas of decreased enhancement, this, the changes in the cortical medullary interface, very classic on axials or coronal views for acute polynephritis. So again, you can go to later phases. Here it is a bit later, that patchy decreased enhancement, the striated nephrograms, all really, really well seen. But if you didn't do the early phases, you wouldn't see it. Now, when I talk about renal infection, I also talk about things like abscesses. Abscesses are less common these days. You're talking more about a mass. Most renal abscesses are patients who've had pilo who don't get treated well or don't take their medication for the full length of time they need to take it. What you're having is a low-density lesion with cystic changes, wall enhancement also seen. You may see thickening in gerotis fascia or the perirenal space. Abscesses can be single or multiple. They can be unilateral or bilateral. And here's just a nice example. Now, I showed this case to make the point that with the right history, you might think about a cystic renal cell carcinoma. So it's important to recognize that renal abscesses do have mass effect. They often, as in this case, have a rim around them, as shown best on the coronal views. But you need to be very careful because of the wrong history, you can go down to tubes. You can assume something is a renal cell carcinoma. A lot of times why patients have uh, nephrectomies and it's a benign process is because it was simply an abscess. So you look at these images, you need to be very, very careful. You look at the uh, early phase or the excretory phase, you can see how you could imagine this to be a necrotic tumor. So clinical history is indeed very, very important. If you're thinking about infection, you better be very, very careful. Now again, the same process, what if you called something an abscess and it was a tumor? I mean, that can happen as well. Here's another example of something that was felt to be a tumor. Look at the left kidney. The adrenal's enlarged on the left. But look at that zone of decreased enhancement in the left kidney. And you look at it from arterial phase into excretory phase. And could that be a renal tumor? It sure can. But this patient had this urea and hematuria, and the patient was younger. And this was infection. This was an abscess. So again, very important to recognize that abscesses can look very similar. Now there's certain things in the GU that are uncommon but are really pathognomonic. Xanthogranulomas polynephritis related to a large stone, as in this case in the right kidney. The kidney's destroyed, there's often no function, but there's a large abscess often present, including that involving the um, paraspinal musculature as well as abdominal wall and so is muscle. We talk about emphyseminous polynephritis, most common in patients who are uh, diabetic. But look at the left kidney. It's totally destroyed. Totally destroyed. Uh, what can you do for this patient? You do a nephrectomy. So again, it's a very classic appearance and one I think we are going to see more often. Now, I've mentioned in prior talks one of my concerns about hematuria in the ER setting where you do a stone study and you say it's negative. This was a so-called stone study. Look at the right kidney. Do you see a stone? I don't see a stone. Look at the coronals. Do you see a stone? I don't see a stone. What's going on? Well, the patient could have passed a stone, but what exactly is happening here? Now, that's a really good question, and that's a question I'm going to let you think about for a couple minutes, and then we'll come right back.